Well, good morning once again. Um, I pray that you are not tired of my face or my voice just yet, because um, you're all, I'm all you got this morning. Uh, <laughs> Pastor David and Pastor Jackson, well, Pastor Jackson should be returning with our teenagers soon, but our teenagers went on a skiing trip, um, and I heard they had a, a blast, and I don't think any broken legs were had or um, no new relationships were created, so we want to praise God for that. Just, you know, you know what could happen at a student retreat. So, um, first of all, let me go ahead and introduce myself, because I've had several of you come up to me and say, I've been praying for you, but what is your name? And I think it's the sweetest thing in the world. So, um, my name is Matt Williams, and I am the worship pastor here. I've been here since uh, October 24th. And so hopefully that's a good thing for a lot of you. I hope it's not a bad thing for some of you. Um, But I just want to say how thankful I am that I'm here at this church. Um, Back back in the summer of last year when God was calling me and my wife um, to leave our current church of nine years, well, me for nine years, and to step out and to go into a new new location, um, we had no idea what we were going to face. We had no idea the kind of body we were going to um, to, to just to be a part of. And uh, let me just say that God blessed us greatly that he planted us here. And so I just want to thank all of you for accepting us, for bringing us in. I know I'm new. I know I'm different. Um, I probably act different, dress different. Um, obviously, I've changed a lot of things since I've been here. Um, but, <laughs> but no one has thrown tomatoes or vegetables at me, and I really appreciate that. And uh, so you guys, if I could, I'll give you a hand um, because of how wonderful you've been to me. And I hope to get to know every one of you. But with that being said, I've mentioned my wife. She is the shy one. She will not get in front of people on a stage. So I decided to put her on the screen. So <laughs> so this is my wife, Jana. Um, she is the love of my life. This was when it snowed back in the day. And that's our, that's our dog, Winston, right before he put his face in the snow. Um, but these are two of the reasons why I get out of bed in the morning, and she, um, she's been with me for almost four years, four years in June, and uh, she is the most precious thing in the world, and I love her to death, and um, I know pastors sometimes, sometimes can talk on and on about their wives, but I'm truly blessed to have her, and uh, she only rolls her eyes at me every once in a while, so that's still a blessing in itself. Yeah, yeah, praise, <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Um, but yes, I'm so happy. Oh, and I, I did want to say this. Um, I'm very thankful for our lead pastor here, Pastor David Fry. Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for him real quick? Um, that's not for Pastor David. That's for the Lord that he planted this, this, this pastor here. And uh, the heart that he has for you guys, the heart that he has for the city, the heart that he has for the Lord means so much to me. It was hard to leave the pastors I used to work for and to meet David and to get to know him and to know his heart is such a blessing for me. And I hope it's a blessing for all of you. You guys don't know how lucky you are to have a pastor like Pastor David. And uh, if you haven't met him, if you haven't talked to him, please talk to him. It might be an hour before he's finished talking to you, but I promise it will be a wonderful conversation that you will not, uh, you will not regret. We were having a Zoom call the other day um, and me, Pastor David, and uh, Crystal, our communications director, and um, somebody just asked him, they wanted a brief statement from Pastor David, just a brief statement. Well, he carried on for about 10 minutes, and then wrapped it up by saying, in a nutshell, and we just, we just started laughing at him because he just, but he was talking about this church, 
right? He was talking about you all. He was so excited and so passionate about you all, about what's happening here, about what's going to happen here. And it's an amazing thing what's already happening. And I believe, just like our screen says, that greater things are coming. But here's the thing. Greater things can only come if we allow it. Now, that might be, sound blasphemous, but God can do anything. Amen? And he can use you. He can use me. But we have to let him. We have to be willing to let go. He gives you that free choice. That's, that's his love. He allows you to choose to whether to follow him, embrace his path, or to just, just do your thing. And that's the amazing thing. And so I believe God is calling us to something greater. That's why I wanted to come be a part of this church because I believe this is such an amazing location, such an amazing people. There is something amazing that's going to happen, but that only will happen if we all get on board. It's not going to be because the three pastors do it. It's not going to be because the staff does. It's not going to be because the volunteers or the singers does. It's, it's going to happen if we all get on board, okay? And I'm passionate about that. I've, I'm very much passionate about that. I get fidgety. My hands do this a lot when I speak. My wife can tell you. And so if you, if you see me get excited, it's just because I'm so, so passionate about that. I'm a third-generation pastor now. My grand, two grandfathers were pastors and preachers. My dad was a pastor, and now I am. And, and so I've seen God do great things in those men's lives, and now I'm seeing him do great things now. But I want to see him do greater things. It's not just great things, greater things, greater things that we've ever seen. And if this mic keeps doing that, just ignore it. Don't worry about it. We're fixing that too. Uh, <laughs> In due time. Uh, but so I wanted to take a step back and be completely honest with ourselves and go and just look at the state of the church. And let me say this. This building is not the church. Okay? Now, it took me a long time to understand that growing up. But this building, these walls, this stage, everything about this is not the church. Who is the church? Us. We're the church. So when I say I'm going to church, you're not going to a building, you're going to a gathering. And so we're the church here. So we're the ones that have to step up. We're the ones that need to do something big. So if we take a step back and says, how is the American church going, right? We live in America. We're just going to take a look at the American church. And if we are really honest with, our, with ourselves, I think we would come to this conclusion. I have this for the screen. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. This is where God has brought me to. I believe Christians are really good at going to church, but have a really hard time being the church. And that stings. That should sting. And if you're writing notes, underline going or put it all in caps. And, if you're, and then underline being or put it all in caps too. Because going to church and being the church are two completely different things. Two completely different things. God is calling you to gather that's why the church, that's one of the reasons why the church is put together. This right here is a good thing, and we'll get to that. But God is not just calling us to do this and stop. He's calling us to do this and get out of here. Does that make sense? God is calling us for something greater. Just to come together and enjoy and hear some music, hear the word is good. But it's not the end all. How many for you, put, raise your hand, how many for you, Sunday is the end of your week? No. How many for you, Sunday is the beginning of your week? Yeah, that's, that's most of us. Yeah, I think the same thing for me because 
We get off on Fridays and Saturdays, we come back on Sundays, but all our energy is going towards the Sundays as a staff. And so for me, Sunday is the beginning of the week. And with that mindset, we should take Sunday as a refueling tool, as a chance to recharge your batteries, whatever. My week was horrible, so I'm going to come to church, gather together, sing his praises, hear the word, hear the message, take it all in, and go out and share it. That's the purpose. This is not the end. This is the start. Your end should be Saturday night. And then the beginning starts again Sunday morning. Does that make sense? That's what this is for. That's what this is for. And in our text this morning, that's what Jesus represents to each and every one of us. And so let me just clarify this, because I'm not good with a quiet room, because it just makes me feel awkward. Um, if I ask you a question, if I say amen, just give me an amen back. Just to, not, not because I'm doing good, just because it might, it might take away the nerves a little bit. Because as you can see, I'm doing double, triple duty this morning. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell the pastors not to leave me alone again, and you might say the same thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Mark. And yes, we do do our uh, Gospel of Mark uh, series. It's not this series, unfortunately. We want to stay in the Greater Things series. We are in the book of Mark, chapter nine, and we will be in the uh, will be at, uh, start at the second verse. When you're there, say I'm there. When you're not there, say help. So okay, somebody needs help over here. So somebody, and I think mostly the phones have really helped us. Um, you know, find Bible passages, but also I think it's diluted our minds where the books are. Um, so it's always good to have a, a physical copy. Amen. Oh man. Okay. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? Yes. See, let me also say this. Everything I'm going to say, you can forget about everything that Jesus says. Remember it. Okay. I have nothing good for you. Only Christ has something good for you this morning. There is nothing special about me being up here. I have no greater or lesser gifts than any of you. God's put the message on my heart, and it's his message, not my message. And so listen to him today. All right, so let's read together. We are in, I wish I had some water. We are in the book of Mark chapter 9. And let's see, verse 2, the transfiguration. All right. So it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And as there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Jesus said, and Peter said to Jesus, oh my goodness, Jessica's amazing. Yes, you can give her a round of applause. I forgot about singing and talking all the way through for like an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Jessica. Oh, goodness. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And we will stop there. All right, so before we continue, we just want to take, take a step back and realize what we just read here. Because it kind of it zoomed past all that's happening here. But we, we hear the transfiguration. 
that's, that's not something to take lightly. This is something that is like a miracle that happened on top of this mountain. Um, the Greek word for, trans, for transfigured, I'm not going to screw it up by saying it. So I'll just tell you the Greek is translated into change. I think it's metamorpho, but I told you I'm not going to try it. Um, this Greek word from transfigured means change. And so they saw Jesus before them change into another state. I don't know if his face changed at all or, or um, if he got muscles or if he got skinnier. I don't know. Some of us wish we could get skinnier if we were changed. Um, I know for me. Um, but we know that his clothes all of a sudden were changed white. And so on this mountain, which the scholars aren't really sure what mountain it was. Um, the, the commentary I was reading was believed to be Mount Tabor. Um, so I actually have a picture of what this mountain looks like on the screen. And so as you can see here, this mountain, I love the, the symbolism here. Because the word says he was taken on, t- he took them on a high mountain, right? A high mountain. So for us, like, what's the tallest mountain we know? Mount Everest, Kilimanjaro, those are the, some of the highest peaks. I think they're always changing. Um, but look how cool this is. So it's not like the Appalachian Mountains that we know where there's mountains everywhere. No, there's just one mountain surrounded by flatland. Now, like I said, we don't know if it's exactly for sure, but many scholars believe this to be true. And I want to believe this. These cities weren't there, by the way. This is a new picture. Um, But this mountain is surrounded by flat land. So we have valley and we have mountaintop. If you can catch the symbolism there, it's coming. Um, So they're probably up here somewhere on the very top. And so Jesus led these men up here to witness something amazing. And so... um, here we, see, we, here we see Jesus take on his full glory, right? This is probably close to what he might have looked like in heaven, but probably not enough because if it was, they probably would have been blinded by everything, by what they saw. And I want to, I want to take uh, a couple notes here of what we see here. So first thing I, I noticed was Jesus' clothes become so white, so radiant of white that no earthly bleach could, could create it. And so we see the symbolism here. What did Jesus do for our sins? He washed it white as snow. Our crimson-stained sins, the, the destruction and evil that we did, he bleached it white that no other earthly bleach could do. We see that symbolism here. There's many symbolisms in the story, and the Bible is full of that. Every story points back to Jesus in some way. That's what the gospel is about. And so he takes on this form of this beautiful radiant white, a white. So like if we crank this screen up to like 100, it'd probably be close to that. You just, they could probably barely look at it, right? And all of a sudden they see Elijah and Moses who have been dead for years. And I don't even know if they know what they look like. They just knew that they were there. And so you can imagine Peter, James, and John going, what's happening? <laughs> you know, imagine Imagine if Abraham Lincoln and George Washington all of a sudden appeared with me. I don't know why I chose those two. They were the first dead people I thought of. And they stood right here with me, and we were conversing. How crazy would, would you just be like, oh, that's cool, yeah. Or would, you be, would your mind be blown? This is exactly what Peter is experiencing. The scripture even said it. He said he was terrified. He's going, what? The, the three and a half years they spent with Jesus, they saw some crazy things. And they just couldn't believe what they saw. And Jesus did this on purpose. He wanted them to see this glory of heaven, this awesome event happen. And I also want us to note this one thing. I wrote this down in my notes. 
Now think about this. Why didn't he bring the rest of the 12 with him? He only chose three. It's interesting. But we know that Peter, James, and John were the closest to Jesus. So know this. The closer you get to Jesus, I believe, the more he will reveal to you. You want to see great things get closer. You want to see awesome, amazing miracles get closer to him. Lean into him. Seek him out. That's what he's wanting. He wants you to show, to show you how powerful, how wonderful he is. But some of us want to take the back seat. Some of us just want to say, church is enough. I gathered. I'm good. And we wonder why we never see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Because Sunday's become the, one, the only day I spend with him. If that... And we want to see something great happen. We have to lean into him. It's a relationship, right? If I spent one day with my wife, would I expect her to love me with an intensity? Well, depends on the week, I guess. Just kidding. Um, but I have to know her. I have to be with her. I have to spend time with her. I have to give her gifts. I have to give her time. Her love language is time, which I am terrible at. And so she needs my time. That's her love. And if I didn't give her that, she wouldn't show me any great love, right? She'd barely, because she wouldn't know me. This is what God wants to do for you. He wants to reveal these great things. He wants to reveal to you heaven, but you got to lean into him. So these close ones got to see the fullness of heaven. And I, and I believe if we were honest here, we are Peter, right? We're a little terrified, but we'll be like, oh, you know. Um, I, I relate to Peter a lot because he's a loud mouth, a little foolish. And he's always putting his foot in his mouth, unfortunately. But look, look, look what he says. Uh, look what he says here in, um, in verse 5. You can put verse 5 back on the screen. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Right? Let's stop at that sentence. You can, leave the, you can leave it on the screen. It is good that we are here. That's one of the smartest things he said. He wasn't saying anything else other than, it is good that we are here. And I, many times I feel the same way when we gather together. We feel heaven embrace us. It is good. It is great. It is amazing that we are here. So my first point this morning is, it's very much like this. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. If you're writing down any notes, write that down. Number one, it is good to be in the presence of the Lord. Where else would you want to be? Why would you not want to be with the creator of heaven and earth? Why wouldn't you want to experience heaven? Church, let, let, us, let us forget, let us remove this idea that earth is great. This place is horrible, full of sin, full of destruction, full of death and sorrow and pain. But heaven is, is, is painless. It is, is full of joy and full of light. There is no more tears, no more sins, no more any darkness. Why would we not want to be there? Why would we not want to engage with that? Many of us, we're struggling with a sin that we can't let go. We're struggling with um, hurt that we can't let go. But Jesus is talking to us today. He's saying, I want you to, to know how good my presence is. What does Psalms 34, 8 says? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He wants you to taste it. He wants you to just, just to know 
right? Most of our teenagers are gone, but teenagers in this room, don't be like the, most of us adults. Don't spend like 18, 20 years away from it and maybe find them later. Find them now. Your life is that much better with Christ in it. Amen? Most of you understand this, but we have a lot of people, a lot of people in the American church that think this is it. This is the end all. This is only the beginning. There's more to come. It is good to be in the presence of the Lord. When we embrace worship and the Lord full of heart and soul, there's nothing on earth that can satisfy that feeling. There's nothing on earth that can tap into the feeling that you have when you embrace Jesus, when you read his word, when you spend hours of prayer, when you fast, when you share the gospel, when you share your story, your testimony, when you see somebody you love come to Jesus, there is not a greater feeling. And if you don't know that, that means you haven't tapped into it. And so just like the scripture I quoted, just taste it. Just see, right? If you're not... If you're questionable out of food, you just kind of give it a taste. You find out, oh, my goodness, that's the greatest thing on earth. That's exactly what Jesus wants for each and every one of us. The Lord wants you to have a heavenly, heavenly interaction. When we worship, we're engaging heaven. Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I shall be there. So guess what? Heaven is there. Jesus is heaven. He's engaging us this morning. He desires for you to know heaven. Not only to know heaven, but to yearn for heaven. When was the last time you said, Lord, come, Jesus, come back? For me, it's been a while. Maybe when something bad happens, when a pain happens, a death happens, I go, oh, Lord Jesus, please come back. But when do I yearn for him when things are going really good? When do I yearn for him when life is as good as it can get? When do I yearn for heaven then? Or is my mindset not fixed on the right priorities? So Peter says, it is good that we are here. And he was right. But you know what? His next statement, just like Peter, he can say one right thing and then the second thing is wrong. (laughs) What does Peter say after that? He says in verse 5, Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So, and that might not sound like a bad thing. But you know what Peter was doing there? He was saying, this is so good. I'm going to keep this for myself. James and John are here. All right, we're going to keep all of this for ourselves. Elijah, Jesus, Moses, you stay here. We'll do whatever. We will cater to you. We'll be your servants to stay here because this feeling is like none other I've experienced. And Peter's being selfish in this moment. He's saying, I got the power. What was Pastor David's uh, title of his series or uh, message last week? I got the power. Some of you want to sing that song when I say that. I've got the power, but I'm going to keep it for myself. And I think that's what happens when we come to church. We Soak in all the goodness, but we do absolutely nothing when we leave the doors. We got the power, 
Resurrection power, the same spirit and same power that rose Jesus up from the dead lives in you if you are saved by Jesus Christ. And guess what? If you do nothing with it, doesn't that mean you're selfish with the power? It wasn't given to you for you to hoard, for me to hoard. It was given to you to change the world, to change the city, change everything. But yeah, we see it. We see how good it is. We see how good church is. Oh, let's have a luncheon. Let's have dinner. Let's have these events. Let's just come together. We're just, we love spending time with each other. And then we just do nothing. There's nothing wrong with this gathering that we're doing, but it is wrong if we don't do something afterwards. And that's the point that we're trying to get to. And Peter wasn't getting that. See, even Peter forgot about the, the other disciples. The other ones who were, who were down at the valley who didn't go up the mountain. He's like, forget them. Jesus already chose his three, his posse, his boys. We're just going to stay up here, forget them. He immediately forgot about his brothers he was doing life with. And he wasn't fixated on what, why Christ was here. He didn't understand But Jesus didn't just come for us. He came for who? Everybody. The Bible says God is so patient so that all may come to him. Yes, there are the elect. Yes, there are chosen. But God came for each and every one of us, each and every person who ever lived on this earth, every criminal, every murderer, every saint, every person. He came for everyone and died for everyone. But he also left to have us go. So my second point this morning, in our notes, write this down. Two, we need the mountaintop to send us into the valley. Okay, we need the mountaintop to send us into the valley. As we saw on Mount uh, Tabor, that there was that lone mountain, and they, yeah, thank you. There's that lone mountain, and then there's all this valley. One mountaintop, all surrounded by valley. And so we need this mountaintop experience, right? If, you, if you've been at a student camp before, if you've been at any conference, you hear, I, you know, I'm high on Jesus or I have the mountaintop, I've had the, 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 the mountaintop experience, all these things. We've had experiences where we felt so good. One of the best speakers I've ever heard was uh, uh, Danny Aiken, who's the president at a, uh, Southeastern Theological Seminary. And when I heard him preach, immediately I'm like, I'm going to go be a missionary. I was fired up. I think I was 18, maybe. I was with my father, and I was just like, Dad, I'm going to go be a missionary. I'm going to go to Africa. I'm going to go do whatever it takes for the gospel. Well, I never went because all it was was a mountaintop experience for me. All it was was a good feeling. All it was was that feels good. I'm going to do something, and what did I do? Nothing. But that moment was supposed to spark, and maybe that was my lead into ministry. Who knows? Hopefully, it wasn't a waste of time. But, but Christ knew. Here's Jesus' thing. He's spending this time with Elijah and Moses. He feels this glory. I don't know what that had to feel like for that, for that change for him to feel like. He probably took on his whole glory. I don't specifically know, but it had to feel great for him. And Jesus had every right to stay up on that mountain. Jesus had every right to stay up in heaven. He didn't have to come down and be a man. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. He had the full right to stay in heaven, but he knew his mission. He knew his purpose was to come down to save us from our sins. And Jesus' life is an example to you and to me to do the very same thing. 
So our mountaintop experience, even if we don't go to conferences or we don't do any of these things, our mountaintop experiences should be our Bible studies, our life groups, time we spend with other believers, time we spend with the Lord. Church, especially when we gather, this should be our mountaintop experience to send us into the valley. And when I say valley, to send us into the mission field. Many of us work in a secular job and many of us are surrounded by people who don't know Christ. Many of us are surrounded by family members who don't know Christ. They are in your lives. And even if that coworker bothers them out of you, you just like, ah, it just bothers me so much. I can't wait till they get fired. Maybe I can help them get fired. Who knows? I just want them out of here. Do you ever wonder if God put them in your life for you to show them Jesus? There's a purpose God is a God of purpose and of structure. He doesn't just do things willy-nilly. He puts people in your lives for a reason. And the biggest reason is to share who he is to them. Christ knew what his purpose was. He had to get off that mountain because we're going about to read why he had to get off that mountain. He had to go do a miracle. He had to go share the glory of God. So if you would, go back into your Bible. We're going to move down to verse 14. And let's read this together. We've got we to gotta hurry, I think. And when the crowd came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him. This is Jesus who they run up to. And they greeted him. And he asked, Why are you arguing? what are you arguing about? Talking to the disciples here. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams, and it grinds his teeth and becomes so rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, it's not a statement, it's almost a question. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for those who believe. What a statement. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, a little embarrassed, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind of prayer, or excuse me, this, this cannot be driven out. By anything but prayer. This is a miracle. 
what Jesus has done. Most of us will never experience probably somebody demon-possessed. I can probably tell you, it's probably if you do, it will be the most terrifying experience of your life. There are demonic spirits all around. Servants of Satan, servants of the enemy, want to destroy anything good on this earth. And Jesus, the Son of God, was able to cast this demon out of this boy. This boy who was being tossed around. This boy who was being, it said he was thrown into the fire or the water to kill this little boy. Think about that pure evil that could do that. He, all these things happening. And, and what I love here is that Jesus says, because the father says, can you do this for me? And, the, and he says, you can. If you believe. And like most of us, the Father says, I do believe, but I need, I need help. Many of us are in that place this morning. We need help. We need hope. We need a sign. And Jesus commands this spirit out of the young man and the disciples who had to feel so terrible about themselves. Because think about this. This crowd, this man was coming to find Jesus. And who did they find? His very disciples, the men who go everywhere with him. So you think, oh, if they are with you, they might know your tricks. They might know your miracles. So they ask disciples, can you heal him? And they try. But the disciples were leaning on a different power. They were leaning on their own power. They were leaning on their own strengths. They were blinded by the fact that they weren't leaning on the strength of God. We cannot expect to see remarkable things done in the name of Jesus if we don't invite the name of Jesus in. How on earth do we expect to do anything? There's a psalm that says, my flesh may fail, but we know that God will never fail. The Bible talks about his steadfast love, his faithfulness. We just sang about it. He will not fail. So why would we not ask that same power to come in? Why would we not ask the same power to intervene in our workplace, to intervene in our children's lives, to intervene in our relationships, to intervene in our marriage, to intervene in who we are? Because we're blinded by our own strength. We're blinded by our own wants, but we're blinded by our own needs. Even blinded by our own glory or our own desires. But God wants you to change, to get clarity, and to see he desires something even greater for you. Church, we're in this series called Greater Things. It's for greater things for our city. But how can we expect to see anything change here if we are not engaging with him on a daily basis, it's not going to be because Pastor David does something great. The city's not going to change because of that. It's not going to be because a couple of us go out and pray for, for an area. It's going to be if all of us gather together and go multiply and go do great things. Do you even know what our church's mission statement is? To make disciples of Jesus Christ who what? Make disciples. How many of us can be said that we're making disciples right now? And I don't say that to be a jerk. I don't say that to, to be in your face. I'm saying that because I want to see greater things happen. I want to see God do a big move. I've seen too much horrible things. I have a brother who does not know the Lord. I've seen a nephew perish. And I don't want that 
I don't want to see that thing, that stuff. I don't want to engage in that. I want to engage the things of God. I want to see darkness be removed, and that's only going to be removed if we bring in Jesus. And students, listen to me. Teenagers, listen to me. You don't have to wait for the adults. You can do it too. Paul says, don't, desp- don't let anyone despise you for youth. If you want to start something at your school, I know COVID and everything, it makes it all harder. But eventually, God's not saying wait till everything's fixed. God's saying go be the fix. That's exactly why, he's, why he has us here. That's why he hasn't come back yet. There's more to be done. When we come to church, we should soak in his presence and then be the overflow of his spirit out into the community. So our third point this morning is this, all capital letters. We gotta move. We gotta, we have to, we need to move. Because if we don't move, we're a dead church. If we don't go be the hands and feet, we are just a bunch of people coming together. We're a country club, basically. If that's all we do, are we really the church? We have to move. God wants to see great things happen. Jesus knew that very thing. He couldn't stay on the mountain. He had to get down to heal this young man of a demon and prove why he was here to be a servant. And so I'm going to flip over to Matthew, and I'm wrapping up here, I promise. Matthew 17 is the same story of the transfiguration. But I just love what Matthew quotes Jesus here in verse 20. He says, for truly I say to you, talking to the disciples here, for truly, if I, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, and if you cook, you know a mustard seed is about that big. If you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And just, just keep that up on the screen, please. Move from here to there. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the grain of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move from here to there. And for most of us, we are very skeptical about this because we've never seen a miracle We've never seen something supernatural happen. But let me tell you this morning, God is a God of supernatural. He's the God that, that lit a fire above Peter so that every person could hear their language presented in the gospel. He's a God who raised up Lazarus out of the dead. Raised Jesus out of the dead. He split the sea. Who used a shepherd boy to defeat a giant with a rock. That's the same God that wants to do something great in you. Same God who wants to do something great in me. But church, we have to let it. We have to let it happen. And so being the worship pastor here, I love talking about what worship is. And for many of us, we grew up thinking that music music was our worship or prayer or whatnot. But let me tell you this. Worship is a verb. Worship's a lifestyle. And let me also say this, that because it's a lifestyle, you're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. Your actions, the things you say, the things you watch, the things you do, you're either worshiping God through all that or you're worshiping something else, most likely self. And I am so guilty of that. 
I'm so guilty of that. And you can see, right? You can see who am I worshiping. Sorry for the popping. We can see who are worshiping. If we don't have joy, if we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's the evidence of faith in our lives. Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there love? Worship engages God's heart and God's spirit. What I'm super passionate about for is creating a culture here, letting God create a culture here at Calvary Raleigh that, that, that this worship culture we have changes every person's heart, changes every person's lives, their outlook. I'm not telling you you're going to be dancing on, you know, in the aisles. You're going to be shaking tambourines. Please don't. You're not going to be you know, shouting in tongues, whatever. But I do promise that if you let it, God will engage your heart because worship is engaging his heart. I, can, I, I love where I get to stand because I get to see all of us here from the stage. And I know some of us who are tapped in and some of us who are still like, I'm, I'm keeping at a distance, right? And let me say this, fathers, your family is only going to go far as worship as you are. Your sons, your daughters, your wife is only going to go to as far in worship as you lead it. So if you stand idly by, guess who else is standing idly by? But if fathers, if you lead, if you push, they say if, they say, what's the statistic? 93% of fathers who are in churches, guess where the, 93% of the families are also in church. So if that is the case, fathers, if you lead your family, they're going to follow. My dad is my hero. I followed him. I watched him. He's who, he's why I, I do what I do. Now, yes, I am my own creation. God wove me differently, but I followed my father. Dads, we have to step up. Men, we have to step up. The ones who lead our worship mostly in the churches are women. Nothing wrong with that. We love it. But where are the men at? Most men want to sit in the back. Most men want to just just let everyone else do it. But here's the thing. We have to lead. We have to engage. We have to do something. You keep waiting, but there's no time to waste. The world is out there. The ministry is out there. And God is saying, we got to move. Okay? We got to move. And I know I'm sounding big. I know I'm sounding voiceless. And this is all just so, this might be too much. You might be, it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I don't know what to do with all this. Just let me say this. That if you don't know your next step in all of this, your first step is to engage the Lord. Your first step is to worship him. You're not going to see all these great things if you don't worship him, if you don't engage him, if you don't praise his name, if you don't pray, if you don't read his word. If you only open this on a Sunday, you're not engaging him. You're learning about him. Something has to change because I promise you the church is not doing enough. And it might, ne- it might ever, never do enough until Christ comes back. But do we want to be a church body that sees greater things, or we just want to hope for greater things? Here at Calvary, we desire to disciple people into lifestyle worshipers who change the world. Because that's why we're here, to change the world. So if you bow your heads with me.